Welcome to the Summerton Church of God Sermon Podcast, a podcast to help you find life, freedom, and purpose in Jesus Christ. I want you to take your Bibles this morning. Go with me to the book of James. The book of James chapter 5. There's such a sweet spirit in this place today. What a friend we have in Jesus. A friend who sticks closer than a brother. A friend who never leaves us. And never forsakes us. A friend who is always, always interceding and praying for us. We've been in this series entitled Prayer That Gets Results. And I have been preaching for the last couple of weeks from the past, from from the same passage of Scripture, even though we've kind of stepped outside of that passage to see some other passages that kind of complement what we've been talking about. Today we're going to go back to James chapter 5 verse 13, and continue to talk about prayer that gets results. James tells us this. We're reminded of this. We've already talked about this. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these first few verses. But James says, is any among you suffering? Of course, we've identified that this passage of Scripture is a Scripture that is talking about a congregation of Jewish believers who are going through a really difficult season of persecution in their lives. And we also determined last week that many of us in this room right now that we are going through some difficult times and some difficult seasons in our own lives. And James says that if you are, if you're suffering, if you're going through a difficult season in your life, he says, let him pray. And in the Greek, the the tense there is, is one that Reminds us that we are to pray and keep on praying. It's what Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians or in 2 Thessalonians when, when he said that we are to pray without ceasing. And I shared with you last week that praying without ceasing is like breathing without ceasing. If we stop breathing, we'll die. And listen to me, church, if we stop praying, we will die spiritually. We've got to continue to pray. And he said, if you're going through a difficult time, pray. And then he says this, he said, is anybody cheerful, let him sing psalms. So whether we're going through a difficult season or whether we're going through a good season, we need to be talking to God. We're either praying or we're praising, but we're always talking to God. And then he goes in verse 14, James does, and he says, is any among you sick? And we identified last week that this is not just talking about physical sickness, But the word sick there actually means weak. And it's not that he's not talking about physical illness, but he's talking about the effects that a long-term physical illness can have on a person. You know, when you've been battling an illness for a long time, you get weak. Or if you've been going through a difficult season in your life for a long time, you get weak from that, from that struggle that just continues and doesn't seem to end And many times it's not the struggle that the person is going through and and not necessarily even the illness that they are battling, but it's the weakness that gets them in the end that they just quit, they give up, they they lose their fight. And he he says, is any among you weak? And we get there, don't we, church? We get to that place to where we don't even have the strength to pray for ourselves. 
We don't have the desire, really, to pray. We don't have the strength. We don't have the energy. And he said that when you're in that kind of a condition, he said, here's what you need to do. When you cannot pray for yourself, call for the elders of the church. When you are spiritually weak, call for those who are spiritually strong to pray over you. He said, let them pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. And it's not just anointing with oil literally. It's not just rubbing a person with oil. But I believe what he's saying here is this. He's saying that we need to be oil providers. That when somebody is weak, when somebody is going through a difficult season in their lives, that we need to come alongside them the way that the Holy Spirit comes alongside us. And we need to encourage them and we need to comfort them. We need to, to pour on words of encouragement. We need to rub in words of encouragement and help strengthen them. And he said that we're to pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And then he goes on in verse 15 and says, And the prayer of faith, notice, not the anointing with oil, but the prayer of faith, he said, is going to do what? It's going to save the sick. And who's praying the prayer of faith? The spiritually strong. Who's praying the prayer of faith? The elders the spiritual leaders in the church. And he said that the prayer of faith will save the sick. A better translation is will restore or will rescue the weary. Because that word sick there, when you look at it in the Greek, it's, it's a different word than the word sick in the previous passage. The previous verse that was translated weak, this one instead is weary. And it's a word that is used of a soldier that has fought one battle after the other, after the other, after the other. And he's fought so many battles in succession that he is weary and thinking about going AWOL because he can't fight any longer. So weary that they can't fight any longer. I wonder if there's anybody here this morning who's been fighting those kinds of spiritual battles. It's just been continual. It's just been one battle after the other until you are at the point of exhaustion and you are weary. But the Bible says that if you're in that condition, you call for the spiritually strong who will gather around you and anoint you with oil and pray the prayer of faith over you. But notice who it is ultimately that raises you up. He said, and the Lord will raise him up. The Lord will get the weary back on their feet again. The Lord will get the weary or the weak strong again so that they can stand and fight and so that they can stand and, and be strong in this day and age. And he says that the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. It's what Isaiah was talking about. I said it last week. In Isaiah chapter 40, they that wait upon the Lord, he shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not get weary. They shall walk and not faint. And then notice what he says. He says, and if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Notice now, if he has committed sins. It's not saying that he has. But if, let's just say that it was sin that put him in this condition of weakness. But more than likely, it is sin that came as a result of the weakness or sin that came as a result of being weary. 
Because when do we hear of believers falling from grace mostly? It's when they're weak. And it's when they're weary. And the example that we're going to see here in just a few moments, I believe, testifies to this. But he says, if he's committed sins, then those sins will be forgiven. And here's why. Because notice the next thing he says. He says, confess your trespasses to one another. Now notice this. He says, if you're going through a difficult season, you pray. But if you've been going through it so long that you've got weak and weary, and you can't pray for yourself, then get the spiritually strong. And then notice what he says. He says that if you've got some habitual sin in your life that continues to defeat you, then you need to confess those sins to one another and pray for one another. So whether you're going through a difficult season or whether you're weak and you're weary or whether you've got habitual sin in your life, what's the answer? Prayer. Pray. And he says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. You say, well, pastor, I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm not going to confess my stuff to just anybody. And listen, you don't need to. I believe that this scripture tells us who we need to confess our trespasses to. He says, you confess to one another and you pray for one another. So you confess to somebody that you know is going to pray for you, not talk about you. You confess to somebody that you know is going to pray over you and not gossip about you. Somebody, that, you missed a good opportunity to say amen right there. And he said, confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. And the word healed there means delivered. That you can be delivered from that habitual sin. That you don't have to be in bondage to that the rest of your life. And the only way that you're going to ever get free from it is when you can confess it to somebody and trust them that they will pray for you and pray over you because as long as it's a struggle within yourself and you don't have anybody to talk to or anybody to pray with you about it, it's going to remain a struggle in your life. And then notice what he says in this last sentence. This is where we're going to talk a good bit from today. He said, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous Everybody say righteous. You want to know why the prayers of Jesus were so effective? Because there were none more righteous. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I love the way that the Passion Translation gives us that last sentence. Here, here's how it says it. For tremendous power is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a godly believer. Listen, when a righteous person goes to God in prayer, and that prayer is fervent, and that prayer is passionate, and that prayer is heartfelt, when that righteous person prays those kinds of prayers, the power of God is released. Oh, we need some of these kind of prayers in the house of the Lord today. And then notice, he gives us an example. You would think that James would give us the example of his brother, Jesus. But he doesn't. You would think that James would even use himself as an example. 
because he was known as a man of prayer. You go back and you read about the life of James. Do you know what they, they called him? They said that he had the knees of a camel because he spent so much time on his knees in prayer. But he doesn't use Jesus as an example. He doesn't use himself as an example. But he uses an illustration of a man just like you and me. And notice what he says. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. That means he was a human just like us. Nothing, nothing particularly special about Elijah. And he said, Elijah was a man with a nature like us. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again. Thank God for those who pray again. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Now listen, I have searched the scripture, and I still haven't found where Elijah prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain. It's implied, but I haven't seen I do find the scripture where he prayed, and it rained, but I, I haven't found the scripture yet where he prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't. But it is implied in the scripture, and we're going to see that. I want you, if you will, to just go over into the Old Testament to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings 17 and 1 Kings 18. And what we're going to find is we're going to find that the nation of Israel, and you know this, I've told you this over and over again, that because of their disobedience, the Lord had told them, as long as you're obedient, you'll be blessed. If you're disobedient, then you're going to suffer the consequences of your disobedience. And one of those consequences of their disobedience was this in Deuteronomy 28, 23. He said that the sky over your head will be bronze and the ground beneath you will be iron. That means God says, I'm going to shut up the heavens and it ain't going to rain. And because it hasn't rained, the earth is going to become as hard as iron. I just described some folks' spiritual life right then. I had, a, I had a gentleman text me last night, a man that I love, a man that I admire, a man of prayer. And he texted me last night about 9 o'clock, and he said, Pastor, he doesn't attend our church, but he said, Pastor, I need, to pray, I need you to pray for me because I know that you believe in the power of prayer. And he said, I'm in a dry season right now, and I need it to rain in my life. I wonder if there's anybody here today who's been in a drought and you need it to rain. You, you need a, a refreshing spiritual rain in your life. But notice, this drought has happened because of the disobedience of God's people. I'm not going to get into that. I don't have time to get into all that caused that. But because of it, the Lord sends Elijah to King Ahab. Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives whom I serve. He said, there's not going to be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now let me tell you something. Elijah is not just declaring his word. Declare, he has heard from the Lord. And the Lord is the one who has sent him on this divine assignment. To go before Ahab and to tell Ahab, Ahab, for the next few years, it's not going to rain. And as soon as he makes that announcement, 
It says that the word of the Lord comes to Elijah and says to Elijah, leave here and turn eastward because God knew that Ahab and Jezebel would want to kill Elijah because of the bad prophetic word that he had given. And so God's going to protect Elijah. And he said, I want you to leave here. I want you to turn eastward. I want you to hide in the Kareth Ravine. Now, let me tell you, when God hid Elijah, it created a second famine in the land. Because now, not only is it not going to rain, now there's a famine of the Word of God. There's no one to preach. There's no one to proclaim. There's no one to talk about the Word of God. And he said, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. And he said this, he said, you're going to drink from the brook. And I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. What an unlikely source of supply that he's going to use. Now, if Elijah had been like many of us, he would have tried to reason all of this out. God, why do you want me to go and spend what would be the next year of his life in a cave, in a ravine, and trust that ravens are going to come and feed me every morning and every evening? But Elijah didn't do that. He heard the word of the Lord, and the Bible says in verse 5 that he did the Lord told him. Now, we're going to see that this is a pattern in Elijah's life. Do you think maybe that's why the Lord heard his prayer? And maybe the reason why the Lord answered his prayers is because when he heard from the Lord, he immediately obeyed and did what the Lord told him to do. Even though he couldn't figure it out, even though ravens seemed like a very unlikely source, Elijah trusted God. And then notice what happens. Sometimes later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. If some of you want to know why you're in a dry season right now, maybe it's because there ain't been no rain. God wants to rain on you, but some things just are not going to happen until you pray, until you bombard heaven. We, we can't sit around and wait for an evangelist to come in here for a revival and think that that's what's going to cause it to rain. No, it'll rain when the people of God begin to bombard heaven with prayer and repent of their sins, and then the, open, the heavens will once again open, and God will pour out his refreshing. My goodness. Then notice, verse 8, after the brook dried up, now, now, he could have got impatient when the brook dried up and thought, well, God must want me to leave. But notice, he doesn't leave until he hears. The word of the Lord came to him and said, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. Another unlikely source that God's going to use to take care of him. Because widows, and as we're, we're going to see with this widow, they were, they were some of the most needy people in that culture. And, and we're going to find that this, this widow practically had nothing. But notice what happens. The Lord said, I've directed a widow. He said, I've directed a raven. Now I've directed a widow that's going to supply you with food in Zarephath. So what does, what does Elijah do? So he went to Zarephath. Again, he does what the Lord tells him to do. Listen, 
If you want God to take care of you during a difficult season of your life, if you want God to continue to provide for you during a drought, even a spiritual drought, then you've got to make sure that you are always where God tells you to be. Amen? And that was the case with Elijah. Elijah was always there. There where the Lord told him to be. But now notice when he gets to Zarephath, and I don't have these scriptures on the screen, but when he gets to Zarephath and he meets this widow, she's out gathering sticks. And they have a conversation and she lets Elijah know how desperate their situation is. Of course, Elijah's asked her for something to eat and something to drink, and, and she's like, well, my, my son and I, we've, we've already talked about it. We've got just a little bit of water left to drink, and, 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 and we've got just a little bit of oil in the cruise and a little bit of bread left over here in the barrel, and it's just enough for us to have one last meal. And we were about to prepare that meal, and then after that, we knew that death was certain. But Elijah said, if you'll take care of me first, God will make sure that the oil doesn't run out, and God will make sure that your meal barrel stays full. And for the next two years that Elijah is here, God does just that. He keeps the oil flowing and he keeps the meal barrel full. He takes care of not just Elijah, but he takes care of the widow and her son. But the widow's son gets sick and dies. And she comes to Elijah and says, God must be punishing me for some sin that I've committed. Of course, after Elijah assures her that that's not the case, he takes the little boy and he goes to an upper room and he lays this boy down and listen to what he says. He stretched himself out over the child three times and he cried out to the Lord. How many of you know your prayers don't have to be long to be effective? They've just got to be faith-filled. Amen? And they've got to be heartfelt. Notice he just says, oh Lord my God, please let this child's life return to him. Because he couldn't make sense of this. God, why would you provide through a famine so that this boy and his mother could live, but now all of a sudden this boy has died? Lord, that don't make sense why you would preserve his life, but then allow him to lose his life. So he prays and he says, oh Lord, please let this child's life return to him. And the Lord heard, I love it, Elijah's prayer. And the life of the child returned and he revived. This is the first place in scripture where we see somebody resurrected from the dead. And it was because of a man's prayers by the name of Elijah. But then we move on to 1 Kings chapter 18 verse 1. Stay with me here just a couple of minutes. It said, after a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord again came to Elijah and said, go and present yourself to Ahab. Oh, but that presents a problem because Ahab has been looking for him for three years, wanting to kill him. And now the Lord's telling him to go and present himself to Ahab. Go and present yourself to Ahab. And he said, I'm going to send rain on the land. And notice what Elijah does. So Elijah went. I, I want you to see this pattern. Because this is the pattern of a righteous person. That when they hear the word of the Lord, they do what God tells them to do. They don't try to reason it all out. They don't try to figure it all out. They just know that they've heard from God 
and they're obedient to do what it is that God has spoken to them to do. And I believe that's one of the reasons that Elijah's prayers were so effective. It's because when he heard the word of the Lord, he obeyed. So that when the Lord heard his word, his prayers, the Lord responded to him. Amen. Now, shortly after this, Ahab and one of his folks that worked with him there in the palace, a guy by the name of Obadiah, they decide that they're going to go out and try to find some pasture where they can get some food for their animals. Because of the drought, you couldn't hardly find anything. So Ahab goes one way, Obadiah goes the other way, and God sends Elijah down the same path of Obadiah. And when Obadiah sees Elijah, of course, he's overcome with joy because he hasn't seen him for over three years. But then Ahab says, Obadiah, I want you to go back and tell Ahab. And, and Obadiah was like, whoa, 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 hold on just a minute. He said, the king has already let anybody know that if they know that Elijah's been alive and they haven't said anything, that they're going to die. He said, if I go back and I tell the king that I've seen you, and then I'll come back and you're not here. He said, because, and I love this. He said, because I don't have any idea where the Spirit of the Lord is going to take you next. He said, he's always leading you this place or that place, taking you here and taking you there. But Elijah told him, he said, you go get Ahab and tell him to get his 450 prophets of Baal and his 400 prophets of Asherah and meet me at Mount Carmel. Now, I didn't tell you this at the beginning, but the name Elijah means that Jehovah is my God. And what an appropriate name because he would be a prophet that would call the people back to God. And at Mount Carmel, when those 450 prophets of Baal arrived because the prophets of Asherah didn't show up, well, when those 450 prophets of Baal arrived, along with some of the Israelites, Elijah gets up and he says, you've been, you, you've been lingering here between two opinions for too long now. Today you're going to have to make a decision. Whose side are you on? And we're, when we leave this mountain here today, there's not going to be a doubt left in anybody's mind who God is. It'll either be Baal or it'll be Jehovah. And it was a contest. He said, what we're going to do is, he said, we're going to prepare an altar. We're going to put a sacrifice on the altar. And whoever's God answers by fire, then that's the God that we're going to all serve. So he said to the 450 prophets of Baal, you guys, you can go first. So they put their altar together. They brought their sacrifice. They got everything prepared. They began to do all the ridiculous things that sometimes people do, trying to get God to move. And here they are doing all of these things, trying to get Baal to answer, and nothing, nothing happens. Finally, when Elijah has had all that he can stand, he tells them, all right, you've had your opportunity, get out of the way. He then builds an altar himself out of 12 stones that reminds you of the 12 tribes of Israel. And he then takes and puts the sacrifice on the altar. But then he digs a trench around the altar. I mean, he, he's going to make it even more difficult for them to deny when God does answer by fire that it was truly Jehovah. Because you know what he does? He then looks at him and says, go and get me four barrels of water. 
You say, well, what's so big deal about that? You've got to remember it hadn't rained in three and a half years. That's a huge sacrifice to bring four barrels of water. And he said, pour it on the sacrifice. He said, now go get four more, pour it again. Go get four more, pour it again. To where now the sacrifice is drenched with water and the trench around it is full. And what does Elijah do? Elijah gets up and prays and says, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I'm your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And right after that little 64-word prayer, the Bible says that immediately the fire of God came from heaven and consumed the sacrifice and burnt up the altar and licked up all the water that was in the trenches. And everybody on that mountain began to declare, Jehovah is God. Jehovah is God. Jehovah is God. There was no doubt left in their mind who the true God was. And those prophets of Baal that tried to run, they chased them down and killed every single one of them. And it was about that time that Elijah confronts Ahab. And he says to Ahab, go, eat and drink, for there is the sound, oh, hallelujah, there is the sound of a heavy rain. Notice, as we're going to see here in a minute, there's not a cloud in the sky. It's a beautiful, clear, sunny day. But how many of you know that faith sometimes hears before it sees? Oh, somebody needs to help me this morning. That faith sometimes hears before it sees. And he says, I hear the sound of a heavy rain. Hallelujah. And then the scripture goes on and says that Ahab went off to eat and drink. But Elijah went to the top of Carmel to pray. Sounds like Sunday morning, don't it? Some folk got to leave, got to go eat. Other folks, thank God, will stay and linger in the altars in the presence of God. Ahab, I won't meddle anymore right there. Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel. And notice what he did. He bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. If I could do it, I would. I can't. I can't get in that posture. But do you know what this posture is? It's the posture of, that a woman would take when she was about to give birth to a baby, when she was about to give birth to something. It is a posture of travailing. It is a posture of birthing. Because sometimes we read this, and we think that all Elijah did is he just bowed down, and he prayed seven times. Hey, it doesn't, even though he prayed seven times, we don't know if that was seven times in one day. We don't know if that was seven days. We don't know if it was seven weeks. We have no idea. But we know that he prayed seven times. But it says that he bent down to the ground, and he put his face between his knees, travailing. I mean, I mean fervently calling on God and then notice and, and here's what gets me God had already told him that it's going to rain you know if somebody some folks if God's already told you he's going to do something you don't think you need to pray about it but that's what releases what God wants to do is our prayers and so, so Elijah looks at his servant and says go look toward the sea and he went and he looked, and he said, there is nothing. How many of you have been there? 
Notice, seven times Elijah said, go back. So for six times, the servant goes back and comes back with the report, nothing. I don't see anything. Anybody ever been there? I've been there where I prayed and nothing happens. And I pray 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 and nothing happens. But then I pray and something happens. You see, when, when, when Elijah prayed for the boy that was dead, he prayed three times. When he prayed for the fire of God to fall from heaven, he prayed one time. When he prayed for the rain to come, he prayed seven times. What does that tell me? It tells me there is no formula to prayer. It just tells me you've got to pray until you get an answer. You've got to pray until something happens. And notice what happens. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. He better get started if he's going to get started. He better get to the bottom of this hill now if he's going to get to the bottom of this hill because it's about to rain and it's going to rain so heavy that if he don't go now, he's not going to be able to get there. And then notice he says, meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds and the wind rose and a heavy rain. Everybody say a heavy rain. That's what we need, isn't it, church? We need, a, we need a heavy rain from heaven. And he said a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. But I love this. Then the power of the Lord came on Elijah, and he tucked his cloak into his belt and ran ahead of, 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 of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Now get this. This is 17 miles, folks, that he's running. Ahab has a chariot being pulled by horses. Oh, but when the power of God comes on you, this man was able to outrun a chariot with horses for 17 miles. That's the kind of rain we need. That's the kind of refreshing that we need for the weak. That's the kind of refreshing that we need for the weary here this morning, that the power of God can come upon us so that we can do the supernatural, so that we can do what we could never do apart from the power of Almighty God. I want you to stand on your feet. I want you to begin to give God some praise in this house. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, come on. Hallelujah, let it rain, Lord. Let it rain in this house, Lord. We need a heavy rain, Lord. We need a heavy rain to refresh us today, God. We're weak, God. We're weary. <laughs> Lord, we're like ground that hasn't been rained on. Go ahead, Tanya. Opened 
the floodgates of Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God, being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience it for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.